Hey there, and welcome to Industry Town. Today's guest is really good at more things than I am. Kelly Walker is an actress, editor, director, producer. As an actress, she's recently appeared in Swamp Thing and Last Man Standing. As an editor, she's constantly doing features and shorts that have amazing festival runs. And now she's made her debut feature as a director, writer, and producer. We have a whole bunch to get into. In fact, this is going to be a two-part episode, uh, and we're going to get into what she's learned about acting from editing and a whole bunch of other stuff in part two. In part one, we're going to talk about my Fiona. We're going to talk about writing the film, how she decided to you know, get behind the camera in the first place, making pitch decks, hiring teams, talking to DPs, and really every step of making this film uh, from an idea to pre-production, and uh, now on to figuring out the festival circuit. So uh, sit back, enjoy that, and we'll be back with part two later in the week. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Ready to do this? Let's do it. Okay, Kelly Walker. Brian Norris. Thank you for coming to Industry Town. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm a bit of a, I'd say I'm one of your number one fans. What? Yeah. Anytime I see it and it comes out, I watch, I I listen to it within like the hour. Are you going to listen to yourself? I don't know. Okay. Well, you have I to... might have Ryan, my husband, Ryan, I don't know, do I say like Ryan Garcia, my husband? Say whatever you want to say. Yeah, I might have him listen first. I'm like, do I listen to it? Do and I then, sound good? Yeah, and then I might. I don't know. So, first question for you. What do you, when people ask you what you do for a living, how do you define yourself? I had to do that a couple years ago when I was making a business card, actually. And okay. I sat on it for like two months because I really didn't know. I went with storyteller. Storyteller. Yeah. Okay, so that is, that's an umbrella term. And what does that include? Actor, writer, director, editor, producer. Is there anything you don't do? Um, if I don't do it, I'm going to learn to do it sometime. Like, color correction. Maybe. Yeah, like, oh, that's it. I'm okay. Like a little bit of color correction. No, um, you'll do it. Yeah, a little, little bit of graphic artist stuff. Did you always see yourself as a woman of many hats? I think I started, when I was about nine or ten, my best friend and I started making shorts. Nine or ten? We were really That's young. young. And, and we, how real are these shorts? Well, we took them very seriously. And then when I was 11, I got final draft for my birthday. 11, you're on getting final draft. Fantastic. Yeah. And then 12, Adobe Premiere. <laughs> And if I would get my homework done, like the book was super thick, like the instruction manual, and I would just read it after all my homework, and like read and read and read. I wouldn't let myself touch the program until I knew how to use it. So, did you always know you wanted to get into film? How did you find your way in? Let's just be clear, yeah. she doesn't have an accent that you can hear, but this is, we're talking to an Australian yeah. right here, so this is not someone who grew up in Los Angeles or New York or San Francisco. Good point. My mom always, she loved film. My aunt worked in the industry, so, I think there was like, it felt very close to me because my aunt was a comedy writer and she was working on TV and and I don't know, I just, there was a camera, we had ideas, my friend was just as excited as I was and then we started making features when we were 13. By the time we were 16, we had four features. Tell me about any one of them that like particularly Ooh. sticks out to you. Okay, one of my favorites would be the last one we made, it was called Polka Dot. Okay. And it was this girl, these two girls named Polka and Dot, and they meet at, uh, they were both invited to this like spy academy. And this is before Spy Kids or whatever it's called, so okay. I didn't steal it. And uh, they get into the academy, they get paired up, but they don't like each other, and they accidentally get put on a real case. So now they're like going off and like thinking they're doing really good, but they're actually against real bad guys. And there's a whole like matrix type fight scene at the end. And how are you shooting this? How many people are getting we involved? would have? We had my brother's friend as our camera guy mm-hmm. and us, and then we'd have help from my brothers, and then we'd cast actors from like our acting school, and we just go around town. My dad uh, worked at a 
and accounting firms. We could use the office on the weekends. Okay. That polka dot, we were in a museum shooting. My mom was one of the bad guys like chasing us. We had a whole thing on the back of my dad's ute on his truck where we're like going off on the truck and one of the actors like jumps into the truck as it's driving down the street and like no one stopped us. We were kids. That's incredible. It was so fun. Um, how do you do a Matrix style fight scene when you're 16 years old? It was the outfits. It was the outfits. We had these little polka dot, oh my God, these like little like tube top skirt, polka dot skirts. She had blue, I had pink. And then we had these black long coats with them. And we crimped hair. We crimped hair. It was like Charlie's Angels meets The Matrix. Do you ever think you're going to make one of those movies now, like, full on? I don't know. I think I got them out of my system. Okay. Because they were all over. There was a horror action, there was a drama, and there was a romance. What did you think of your aunt, who's on the other side of the world, making television? Was she, like, a celebrity in your mind? Was she... I wouldn't say celebrity, but I just I looked up to her so much. And she did, did a lot of stuff. She wrote, she produced, she directed. She was an amazing editor. She's the one that kind of got me into editing. And How did she find her way into some of this stuff? So she moved to L.A. to be an actress. And then at one point, I mean, from all the stories I've heard, at one point she was cutting porn or porn yes. trailers or there was the something to do with porn. made its way to the podcast. Yeah. We're not that far from the valley. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. And, it, and she was over. She was in Hancock Park. But at some point, she was like, yeah. And there's like this. Hand what park? Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Nailed it. So she was doing that. And then um, she, my mom and her grew up with Tim Allen from Home Improvement. What do you mean they grew up? It was in Australia? Michigan. So, my mom's American. Dad's Australian. I forgot that your mom's yeah. American. They met at uh, the Hollywood and Highland Sizzler in the 80s. It's no longer there. I only exist because that Sizzler existed. That's incredible. Not weird. Thank you to Sizzler, right? Yeah. Yeah. I used to drive by it. I'm like, I owe you my life. Like, literally, owe you my life. So you recently fucking made your first feature. Mm-hmm. My Fiona. My Fiona. It's currently getting submitted to festivals, so yeah. it's not at a place where people get to see it yet. Not yet. But, you know, sometime that's going to be coming. Next year, yeah. Um, look, it's really exciting to get to meet somebody who's actually made their own feature. That's a huge fucking deal. Thank you. It's really impressive. And I want to know a little bit about how you don't have a long history of directing. I yeah. know that you've definitely, you know, you've directed a couple shorts and you know your way around a lot of equipment. We've already heard that you edit and you do all these things. How do you go from, I've directed a couple shorts to I want to make a movie to I'm making this movie? You know, I think if I'd stopped and thought about it in that way, I wouldn't have done it. Like that sounds very overwhelming. It does. It just kind of, there was just a natural progression to it. So where did it start? Well, I'd say I was writing it and I was writing it to star in it. And then, so it came out of a desire to act. Yeah, yeah. And I and I had been writing for a while, and I felt really good with where I was with my writing. I'd done a, a writing lab that I'd gotten into, and I felt very. Um, when I started that lab, I was like, oh, I'm the most uh, like everyone knows what they're doing except me. And then by the end of it, I'm like, I'm a motherfucking writer, bitches. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm one of y'all. Um, so it kind of started. So that was happening with the film, and then a producer got involved. And around that time, when I was working on like when I was writing it I started seeing the the scenes I wasn't Jane the lead character's name is Jane and I wasn't her anymore standing in the scenes as I was writing I was I was looking at the way it would be shot I was imagining the tone the pace and I was like oh shit I'm not gonna be in this I'm gonna be directing this and at the same time around then I had been directing shorts I'd done a web series 
and I'd gotten more like actively watching TV and watching movies and, and to understand like how something was directed. I was reading interviews and watching interviews with directors and writers before I was watching directors like interviews with actors. I mean, that there's kind of, so much to unpack in here. So let's let's figure out a place to start. I know. Um, what do you think taught you the most about directing? Was there one movie, one show, one article, one book? Was there anything that just really captured your uh, imagination or that you kept on hand? I wouldn't say movie? there's one. I know the one book for writing was Into the Woods by John York. I swear by that book. That well, book was like game changer. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, dude, that was that was introduced at the writing lab. And what was so unique about that take? It uh, it was very okay. Oh, you know what it was? He, you know, how a lot of writer books. They'll be like, and when I made like, uh, okay, so I don't want to like put it down, but save the cat. He's well, always talking about blank check. He's always referring to it. When I made blank check, I'm like, mate, I, I, it's not enough. I tend to agree. On the flip side, he has a very successful book, and I believe he's passed, so he he's not gonna be upset about this. His estate might be, but you know what? But I don't want to like offend the book because I do. I have read that book, and that was really helpful. And a lot of people have. It does seem to reduce it to a formula, which is probably like a nice way in. It's very watered down. Like, well, it's it's nice to start with simplicity, yeah. but then don't think that's the end of the line. Yeah, no, you're not gonna. You can't rest there. I used to like I used to have those notes on my iPad whenever I was writing I'd have the iPad up with all his notes and but there's something about John's book it's very it's dense it's hard to read you have to like reread the same page a couple times before you move on but he took it from instead of a three act picture of a three act film he made it five acts. Ah that's what I love about Film Crit Hulk is it turns it into Shakespeare structure. Yeah and that's exactly yeah and he's he's British and so there's something about those five acts made it more manageable, I think. Well, because the basic idea of the three-act structure is your first act's the beginning and your third act's the end, which means your second act is 80% of your movie. And, and that, that doesn't have structure to it. No. Like, that explanation of it has no structure. I would get so lost in that second act. So really understanding it as three acts. Yeah. Or, yeah, well, there's, I guess, yeah, one, two. In the middle. Yeah, that's a three in the middle. And it's not unsimilar to what Save the Cat's going on about. I mean, it's still in the same world, but. How do you define an act? Well, I mean, it, it, each act has its own inciting incident, right? Okay. So each act is, but what does that inciting incident do to the next act, to the next act? And then the other thing I love about this book is every act is a mirror on itself. So act one and five mirrors each other, two and four mirrors, and then three folds into each other as a mirror. Ooh, that's so visual and so nice. It was great, because I would like stand back when I'm getting lost in an idea. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have these tent poles here. Mm. Like, and if you go there for too long, we've just lost everything you were trying to do. Okay, so that was a big part of the writing. Yeah, I don't know. For the directing, I just think it was a natural next step because of all the editing. When did you feel like you started learning, or how does one kind of start to learn the more technical stuff if you didn't go to film school? Like, I've directed a couple times. I love it. But one thing I feel very under-equipped on is to know like what lens we're supposed to use and where that knowledge comes from. How did you start to learn some of that stuff? I, mean, I just, YouTube, uh, no film school, ScreenCraft, I was just on every website. It was my homepage. In the mornings, I would just read a ton of interviews, a ton of articles. If I saw a, a, a review on a new camera or a new lens, I would then go deep dive all about that lens and then find out who used that lens in their film. And then there was, oh my gosh, I can't remember what the blog is, but there was a blog by this guy who was interviewing DPs. And then I was learning all about why DP chose this color to tone versus this lens. I mean, it was just so, and I knew nothing about that. 
That and was happening, I'd say last year, I started getting obsessive about that. And you're doing this in your free time, right? No mm-hmm. one's paying you to learn this stuff, right? But I'm, I'm a, I love learning. See, that's the thing is, uh, you know, John often says you gotta turn your day job into your fun time and your fun time into your acting. And for years, that did not make sense to me. I was like, this sounds like a great time, but I don't yeah. really know, what does turn my day job into my fun time and turn my fun time into my acting really mean? And I think part of what that is, is like, if you're gonna be a server, are you gonna be practicing connecting to people? Are you gonna be playing with different like points of view or accents or mm-hmm. as a way to like keep it fresh or, or studying people? Or are you using what that job is somehow to be creatively inspired? And then when you're done and everyone else is tired and other people are watching television or sleeping or doing whatever vice they have that you choose and want to learn and that that's not a big pain in the ass, that that's actually the most fun thing. Yeah, I've never seen learning as annoying or, I mean, I, I used to remember on the summer holidays, I would, um, before I was making the films, I would get these project books and I would make an entire assignment during the holidays just for the sake of making it. And I'd learn about a new animal or a new continent or then like show it to my family. Like, this is a lion. And each page I have a different thing about how lions are. And Do you have any fun facts about lions right now? I got nothing. Oh my Africa. God. That's it. That's I didn't, all I I didn't say all my learning sticks. I just mean to do it. And then it does what it does. And then you get bored and move on. Yeah. Okay, so there's you're learning all of this stuff. I hear that. But So what is this lab that where you were writing the script? It was Australians in Film. It was their writing lab. They choose about eight Australians. Mm-hmm. There was a Canadian girl in there, but I think she spent some time in Australia. Who I don't does know. she think she is? But, oh, I can't remember her name. Damn it. Because I was going to be like, this girl, but no. No. Um, I'd bleep it anyway. Cool. <laughs> we'll turn her name into a swear word. There it is. Uh, I've heard you do that, though, on your podcast, Brian. You're like, I'll do this, and then you don't do it. What? Yeah, you're like, and that's when we'll do this noise cue. And I'm like, wait. Oh, that was, wait, what? I'm trying to think about that now. I need to go back. I know. I was like, don't get, don't get trapped, Kelly. He's going to tell you that. <laughs> don't get trapped. <laughs> what a way to begin. Everyone's out to get me. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Okay, so this is Australian women in film and one Canadian. Uh, Australians in film, men and women. Men and women. Yep. And it was this uh, mentor. We had a mentor, and we met for, I want to say, 10 weeks. And we all had a project we were working on. And you already had this pitch? Had, yes. You had to pitch the idea to get in or other work? Uh, I believe we, I mean, I know I had to give my script over. Um, so you already had a rough draft? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was 2017. So I remember doing a reading of... End of 2016. I yeah. was a year and over a year into the script at that point. Okay. And did everyone have like a, a good rough draft that they were figuring out how to take to the next mm, level? Everyone was at different stages. Okay. Yeah. So what did this lab... What was the end result of this lab? Well, the story I had written and was telling up until that point got a lot clearer and a lot more concise because one of the I think it was uh, week three we had to read out our one page of our film and basically it's your whole story in a, in one page mm-hmm. and I read it and the teacher kind of looked at me and goes so what's your film about so I went back down to my page and I go Jane lives her life is about he's like no it's not what I mean he's no, like, like what's the fuck what yeah, is it about like, you just told me like 20, 20 films in one and I was like shit and then you know the whole uh, kill your babies mm-hmm. literally killed a baby out of the script changed a bunch of shit and like got and, I, and it was it really came down to like well what part of this story other makes me angry turns me on what am I most curious about what did you land on it was the suicidal aspect of the one of the lead characters and the sexuality of one of the other characters and those were the two things okay. that I was like me personally couldn't stop thinking about and that was That's what, what you riled me up and yeah. yeah the other stuff I wasn't as 
gosh, that that script had Jane was getting married to this guy, and there was all this wedding planning. I don't even know. There was a lot of other friends involved, and they were cute scenes, but they weren't they weren't moving a story along. That's that word you see is it's cute. Yeah, I feel like people fall in love with cute and clever, and like actually those are the those are all the things like whatever you think is clever, cut it. Yeah, because the characters aren't trying to be clever, Mm-mm. and if they are, it's within the context of the story. And if you and your friends think it's clever, the odds are it's you're actually playing to the wrong audience. I think so. Or you're trying to show like, look, mom, look what I can do. Oh, God, the parent pleasing the parents—it's the hardest thing to stop wanting to do. But God, I love it when they tell me I did a I good know, job. I know, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, tell me real quick, what is your day to day when you're writing look like? Are you just straight to the computer and go? Do you just pace around the house? What What is actually writing look like to you? Uh, definitely have to meditate in the mornings. Okay. What does that do? It clears my mind of all that other shit. Okay. Uh, I'm, but for me, also meditation is like a really important daily practice. It's discipline, right? Isn't it's discipline, and it's also getting out of your head and kind of checking all those fear-based thoughts at the door because okay. they're coming in. Because like anytime you meditate, um, all those thoughts want to kind of uh, they want to show up hijack. on cue. Yeah. So then you're kind of aware of them all. You're like, all right, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Thank you. And that's the thing I like to do. I like to thank them. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me know. I need to be worried that you know I'm going to be homeless in five years, potentially. I don't know. Um, if that's the fear-based thought of the day. and <laughs> That's something that everyone who's made a movie that I've talked to says, though. is like, at one point, I was worried I was going to go broke. But hey, I yeah. have a movie. Because you're having to spend money to like take people to lunches and, and get them excited about your film. And, and you may never work with them. Or, or you're getting advice. You're taking people to drinks and coffees. And you're like, I don't have this money right now. But it's going to cross. That's what a credit card's for. Oh, yes. It's very true. So what does writing look like for you? Okay. So meditating. Meditating. Um, this is a good day of writing. I can't say that every day looks like this. Sure. But I, can't, I, I have to take my messages off my computer, like log out of iMessage. Okay. Because if I see things pop up, I'm going to be thinking about like, oh, Paige just texted me. And We've been editing something before, and I've seen you get real angry at yeah. those messages. You're like, why the fuck are they still like, turning like, you off? Get the fuck out. I do. It's 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 like it can't you can't have anything else outside. Do you turn off the phone? Phone goes turns turns over. Turns over. Yeah. Is it on mute? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Not even uh, vibrating. Emails off, not vibrate. No 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 no. So if you need it, it's right there. Yeah, and but, I'll check every now and again, but it can't. I can't be. Um, it can't make me move to it. If that makes sense, it has to be a choice to. I want my phone. If there's anything on there, it, it can't, can't be. summon you. No. Okay. Oh, no. Um, that's a good day, and then it's. I try to do three to four hour blocks. Okay. And if I'm not getting anywhere, I, I love a little bit of punishment. I'm not allowed to do anything else. <laughs> so you just, what do you do? You just sit there? Yeah, I feel really shit about myself. <laughs> that is so not what, I, I asked Leah McKendrick that exact question and she said, you know, that's when I pour like a half glass of rosé and I say, maybe I'm being too hard on myself today and I just relax. And I was like, my God, you are a magician. I would love to. I don't know how to do that. I can't I would, do that. I would love to try. Maybe I should try, but I feel like then I'll just constantly be drinking half if glasses relaxing, of rosé I'm going to gonna always have an excuse. And I've, I mean, there was a time where I didn't have these rules. And at one point, I realized I did a whole Excel document on my crystals I own. And every crystal and what the chakra was and like an affirmation to go with the crystal and a picture of them while that was in a writing block. I was like, yeah, you're not allowed to fuck off when you're writing. That's like administrivia. That's just being busy. Yep. Busy work. And it feels like you're doing something. Yeah. People think procrastination means I'm just sitting there doing nothing. I think most of the time you're actually doing too many things when you're procrastinating. You're being productive. 
probably in the wrong. Uselessly yeah, productive. Absolutely. Um, but look, writing also can look like 10 p.m. on a Thursday. I just get that like maybe this one song came on my Spotify and like everything is just like oh my god I have to I have to write right now and then that does look like a couple glasses of wine and sitting outside and and that could look like till one two in the morning. Is it usually at a laptop or desktop? Laptop. So you can you're tra- you're traveling. I've never written on a desktop. No. Um, mostly in your office. Mostly in your backyard. Mostly at a coffee shop. Where where are we? Or split evenly. Backyard predominantly. Sometimes I'll uh, join Leah McKendrick wherever she's working because she does inspire me because she is so good at just like going 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 mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna like you know fuck off when I watch her go like tap 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 I'm like me too that's, so that's if I know I'm having a day where I'm like maybe a little lazy I'll join her uh, I don't feel very creative in my office so usually it is outside okay uh, but writing isn't just actually writing the script talk about how do you get to the point where you can write are you a note carter an outliner do you just start writing no, I love outlines. Okay. I love to print out the outline on little cards and like put them up like beautiful mind on the wall and just like kind of stare at it a little bit. But I also will do tons of notes on my phone and then, this is gonna sound a little weird, but again, I love rules. I won't allow myself to even sit and write an outline until I'm, I'm dying to do it. Okay. Like so you can't feel like, what happens next? It's gotta be like, please, please let me do it. Please let me I'm get ready, there. ready, put me in the yeah. game, put me in the game. Exactly. Okay. So it's that will. So the first, I'd say, month to two months of an idea, is just a lot of me thinking, getting up in the night, getting up in the night, writing, 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 um, watching stuff similar, reading. I I like to instead of watch films similar to mine, I do like to read scripts. Okay. Because I don't want to get too much else of the world that other people brought in, the actors, the director, the mm-hmm. editor. Uh, keep it just what what where'd the writer start with? Okay, that makes sense. Uh, for people who haven't done an outline before, if you wanted to give them just a very basic primer on how would you go about writing one and what what's the actual content of it? That John York man, he really breaks that thing down. Beautiful. Check out the book, yeah, buy that book. I hope you get a fucking kickback right? on that book. Um, I would say, what's a okay. I think it, the most important thing is knowing your characters and knowing why you're writing, why you're writing something. Like, what is the story? Why do I have to tell it now? Okay. And then taking that into an outline. I usually know the tent poles of my story. Mm-hmm. And if I don't know everything when I get to the outline, there might be still some things that are just a little bit gray. I'll leave it. I won't try to like make something up for the sake of having you're okay having that just like omitted right now yeah but I'm not about to go write a script with that yeah but I do want to see because then sometimes you can work backwards if I know how that last act ends up I can then go back to that first make sure they're marrying you know okay that fourth act I know by the based on that fifth act something has to happen up here in order to get me over to this fifth and then sometimes I can't figure it out and that kind of tells me then the story's not there yet you said just a second ago, why does the story have to be told now? And I found that question paralyzing a little bit. So can you share like with my Fiona, why does that story have to be told now? Okay, so for me at least, one of the aspects was a friend of my brother's committed suicide. Uh, this is 2017, I wanna say. Okay. I hope, I get, I hope that's right. Yeah, it was 2017. Um, but what if it wasn't? Let's just say he committed suicide a couple of, in the last okay. couple of years. Okay. Um, 
this is how my brain works, Brian. Like, see where I You're just went? You're doing great. I was just like, and now I'm going to get a call from these people's parents that I don't even know. And I doubt they're listening oh, yeah. to the show, but hopefully they are. Hopefully, hopefully they everyone are. Yeah. is. Tell a friend, subscribe, rate and review. And I can't believe I'm doing this in a story about suicide. <laughs> Here we go. Back to Kelly. Well, let's do it. Uh, okay, so when he committed suicide, it, it turned out that he'd been prescribed antidepressants that did not work with his brain. Okay. And he jumped off a building. And then this same thing happened to my babysitter when I was 12. She was prescribed antidepressants that did not work with her. She jumped off a building in our, on our street. Jesus. No, 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 you didn't see it coming, nothing. And I'm going, how the hell, like 20 so years later, is this still a thing? And then I start Googling about antidepressants and I start learning about the black box label and I'm so fucking angry. And I was just crying, sitting in my backyard, like chain smoking cigarettes, being like, someone has to do something. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna do something. I'm, I'm gonna go into high schools and I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna let them all know. And then, I was like, well, no one's gonna let you into a high school. Like, you don't, you don't have like a doc. You know, you're not a therapist. You, no, Just banging on the door. Yeah, so I felt really defeated. And then I'd been working on this script, and this was before the writers' lab, and I was still kind of finding the the story. And I was like, shit, this is a part of it. This is the why the friend. Because at first the friend died, and then she killed herself and then it that kind of took off that's when it this, everything started making sense and it was in each draft was easier than the last and so that would be for me like why does the story have to be told now because this because people are dying okay and, and and i'm angry you have this unresolved question and yeah. you want an answer to it and what if one person sees this and has a friend and they're acting a little funny and maybe or what if just one person googles something afterwards because I'm not anti-antidepressants. Well, that's my follow-up question. Because like, uh, I know what you're talking about. That's a real thing. Flip side is, I don't think that I'm a functioning human being if I didn't get put on meds. See, a lot earlier than a lot of, like where a lot of people think, no, you're medicating a kid too early. I was like near kind of falling apart. And yeah. at like 13, 14, I got on Zoloft. And all of a sudden, I was able to concentrate in school. I I was terrified constantly that that someone was going to murder me. That people were going to. Oh I couldn't. I couldn't be home alone. I couldn't sleep in the dark. I was the scaredest kid that you could possibly so it imagine. Like changed your life for the better. It absolutely did in a way that I like it, to my core. I really. I don't know what would have happened to me, but I, I know it's not as good as I think this has worked out by a long shot. And I felt for me it put. Uh, it felt like I was always falling off the edge of the world, and all of a sudden felt like oh I'm standing on something. It doesn't mean I don't feel anything. But so to me, the, the, both sides of that are really valuable. How do you write that story? I feel like if I were writing on either side of that, I would constantly have a critical voice saying, but what about the other side? Yeah. Not every story is this way. How do you deal with that? Do you just kind of put on blinders and say, that's what this story is about and someone else's story? How do you no, do that? No, because it was important that that story was honored. Because mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have similar stories as you do, and it is. It did, they say they, it saved my life. So it's killing some people and it's saving others, right? It's yeah. this very double-edged sword. So the character that Jane was originally engaged to be married to, I think he owned a bar, he now became a therapist. And through the therapist, we were able to look at kind of a, a both sides of the of the story. Fantastic. Because it's from, it's from a professional. And I spoke with a, with a psychiatrist. We had a couple sessions where he read the script. We talked about it. So I made sure that it, I wasn't just going. No pushback from him? Uh, no, he had a couple notes. He was like, you know, a therapist wouldn't say this. A therapist, you know, you have to understand this, this, and this about the black box label. You have to understand this over here. And um, he wouldn't let me get away with stuff. Great. And it made me feel better going into it, honoring the real life aspects of it all. I didn't want to just be like, this is my therapist character, and he knows things. Like He wears a jacket, yeah, so he's a therapist. He has he's got a certificate glasses on his wall. And he's pushing meds. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not doing that, so 
uh, this lovely man helped me. Okay, so this is how the script gets written. I know that you workshopped it over a couple of years, you had table yeah. reads, you have this lab, and now you have this wonderful script. How do you turn that into getting a movie made? Where do you get the money for something like okay. that? And how do you get someone to trust you as the director? I feel like if you're the writer, a lot of times I'll say, great, you did your job, now it's someone else's job to do that. So talk to us about how that happened. So first my producer, Matt Minshall, came on. Okay. And he, I think, well, we'd worked together, I was an actress in a short of his, okay. and then we wrote a script together years ago. And then I needed. A, I knew the first thing I needed before anything else after the script was a, was a line producer to give me a budget. Because okay. I can't go to an investor and be like, I need money, how much? I don't know. Yeah, it, you look, that's it, door's closed, you know? Well, and that's a complicated question too. I remember asking a friend once, how much money do I need to make this? And his response was, well, do you have a certain amount because then make it for that? Yep. Or do you want to see how much money you can raise? And that, like, really, you can kind of do that either way. Yeah, I'd say so. And I think that's kind of how we did it. We did a three. We did three different budgets because he okay. read it. He loved it. He's like, I'll do the, do the budget for you. He gave me, uh, I think, 100, 250, and 500. And those were our three, like, we could do it for, we decided the 100 was never going to happen. Like, yeah. that. once we start breaking that down, I'm like, okay, so no one's eating. <laughs> um, there's there's no locations now. Uh, yeah, no, I'm but not. important to see that and recognize, like, okay, if I'm going to make yeah. it for this much, this is what it's going to look like. And How did we, you find had, a, oh, yeah. a line producer to do that for you? So with, this was Matt. I mean, Matt. That was done, Matt had done that. Yeah, he'd done that before for his films, and I, I'd, know, I'd known that he'd had that experience. Okay. Um, so he draws up these budgets. Which one do you land on? Well, first we tried to get the money. Okay. So we, the first amount we got was 100. Okay. I think it was 100. It was either 50 or 100. So technically, we had a budget that matched 100. We could have potentially gone off and shot it for that. But where do you get that first 100? I feel like the first 100 maybe the is, first is the is hardest. The first is the hardest. So I had a family friend who invests in films. And I went to him, not for investing, but to be like, can you look at my deck, look at the script, from everything that you get, because he You works. mean pitch deck when you say that, right? Yeah, What's pitch a pitch deck. deck, just in case anyone pitch doesn't know? Pitch deck is kind of a visual a visual story of your film. It, sh it kind of showcases the synopsis, the characters, uh, an artist statement. Uh, I added in a page with that you could click on music, and so it kind of gives you like a feel of what the, what it's the like film. It's like kind of a PowerPoint kind of presentation yeah. of your film. And I, I spent maybe three months on mine, just because if that's, because these these, these uh, investors, even if they read the script, they don't know necessarily what is a good script or a bad script, because they're not coming from that creative, they're usually not in the industry. Well, a I feel like scripts, certain people can find their way into a movie script or a play script, but mostly scripts are written as like a blueprint to making something. It's like Ikea directions. Yeah. And, and so the first goal is not to make you swoon when you're supposed to swoon and cry when you're supposed to cry and laugh when you're supposed to laugh. It's really a directions manual. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think a lot of times people read that and they're not going to have an emotional, it's amazing no. when it does happen. But it's rare. Yeah, and that mostly you're going to have to create that through other means. Exactly. So that's where your pitch deck pitch is. Pitch deck. Wonderful. And the pitch deck People will under people can look at a pitch deck because it's visual. They can go, oh, I, I I know what this is. So then the next thing is, I like this or I don't like this. This is for me. This isn't for me. Okay. So we sent this pitch deck to this guy, and he's yeah, he invests in like a lot bigger films. I think one of his first ones was The Big Sick. So okay. he's been out there. Um, he's seen them all, and I'm like, let me know what you think. Hit it to you know, hit me hard with it. I don't want to take this out there and be like, oh, look at this little girl and her little her little pitch deck. Like, oh, that's cute. And he was like, he gave me advice. He told me what to kind of focus on more, what to let go of. I think, um, I think I was spending. I think I was staying too safe with the pitch deck. The first version was What's very. What safe mean? 
the pictures were uh, more G and PG and, and the colors were pink and white and and he's like it's not it's not it's not because um, your movie would you call it PG-13 or R? It's da- ooh, it's R, yeah. It's full on R? Well, there's a boob. There is one boob. There's one boob. One boob. One boob at the end in a non-sexual situation. Right, which actually might be able to be... Okay, but I my point know. is that you're, you're, you're heading towards R. Yeah. So your pitch deck isn't matching. And the way I would totally. talk about the film wasn't this light and fluffy pink and white, cute little photos. No, and, it's about someone who kills themselves. Yeah, so why the fuck did I make a deck that didn't represent that? It's a good question, Kelly. Mm-hmm. And my producer was like, uh, yeah, I don't know what this is, but I know what your film is, and I like the film. The script is great. This deck is cute. And then, the, and then we're back to that. cute being a fucking piece of shit. And you don't want cute, especially with your first thing. Don't go for cute, right? I mean, that's that great Soderbergh story about Ocean's Eleven. Is uh, I don't know if it's white. apocryphal, but it was pink and white. No, but there's that scene, that amazing scene with uh, the first scene between Clooney and Julia Roberts, where it's been building at the up bar. at the yeah at the yeah. hotel bar. And apparently, the story goes that he said to both of them, like, none of the fucking cute shit. I don't want any of that. And apparently, again, I don't know if this is true or not. Apparently, that was mostly aimed at Clooney, who up to that point had done like Batman and Robin and all the One Fine Day. And these, he wasn't oh, yeah. this like six, it hadn't hit right for him yet. I mean, obviously, his career was incredible, yada yada. But, but he, he wasn't, hadn't that movies, edge wasn't there yet. He wasn't someone who got nominated for Oscars. Who was thought of as a, he was thought of as that guy trying to figure out you go from TV to doing, film. What was it? Er. Er. Yeah. Where he was remarkable, but there was a lot of the like head bob was what he was known for and all that yeah. stuff and. When you watch that scene, because he's willing to sacrifice, go back to jail, and the entire heist is for this woman, and this is the one chance to do it. That isn't cute. No, that's not cute that's at some all. That's serious high stakes. It's it's, it's 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 dangerous. And you watch the scene, and, and you a little don't sexy. See, it was oh, sexy. I'm, I'm like, I don't remember sexy. anything cute about that. No, and the, to me, like that movie works because that scene has gravitas, and it yeah. doesn't otherwise. And otherwise, it's all. Brad Pitt's, you know, sipping out of a gonna, yeah, out of a soda. Eat, eat, yeah, but he gets to be the cute part of that movie because exactly. that's, that's the supporting characters can sometimes add some levity and whatnot. But it's a really, really good point because right. it's funny because I remember that scene even though I haven't seen it in so long. But I love those movies. Was, I wouldn't those remember. Movies are so fucking scene. good. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Yeah. So we rough we roughened up the deck a little bit. The investor was interested. I mean, this film for him, I think, because he's so lovely and he's a family friend. He. Um, Technically, family. I mean, he. I think he invested because he saw the potential of me as a filmmaker. I don't think it was a high risk for him. Were you showing him previous shorts? Yeah, as and like, he's been. See, yeah, he's known. He's seen me as an actress going to this into the filmmaking, and and he really does believe. And once his money came in, it was much easier to get the. I think it was two more investors after that. And how did you find them? Again, family family friends really? it was just yeah it was, we stayed and then they would tell people so one would tell someone else who would invest and it, we stayed very like intimate is it mostly Australian uh, Australian American and Indian oh wow you mm-hmm. bring the globe together we did yeah to make an American film <laughs> so but you know we did go out to people industry like connected to the industry and it wasn't as of an easy sell can I ask what the final budget was I don't know if I'm allowed I I don't think I'm supposed to say that. I think one of my Great. producers would tell me not to. Totally fine. I can hear her in my head. Yes, Kate, I heard you. <laughs> hey, there we go. Drawing boundaries. Um, okay, so... But it wasn't 100 and it wasn't It wasn't 500. Somewhere so in between. It landed somewhere in there. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. What's it like uh, now you have your money, now you got to do pre-production? Oh, when we first got the... Well, it's weird, so 
my producer gave us a deadline to to get the final amount. Okay. Because we had put all these keys, they'd all si- signed on. He's like, if we don't have the money by this day, I gotta let them go off and find another job for the summer, mm-hmm. which I totally respected. The day before, we didn't have the money. We were short 50. Holy shit. And it was over. And I cried, and I woke up the next morning, I was like, here it is, and I cried and I cried. But then I was like, well, by, the, by tonight, I'm gonna cry again because I, it's gonna be official tonight, you know? So I'm like, so I'm just gonna cry twice today. Like, that's stupid. What a day. It's like, that's not how I wanna start and end the day. Let's just cry tonight over a glass of wine, let that be the thing. And then I stopped crying, and I, then I put, like, I put some music on, and I actually felt really good, and I just believed that whatever reason it's not happening now, there's, there's some reason for it. So when it does happen, something else is gonna come up that wouldn't have been available to us now. So I really did just trust that it wasn't supposed to be, and I'm okay with that. Okay. And then that afternoon was one of the investors called and was like, hey, I got you, I got you your last 50. So they knew you needed it, yeah. and you'd, had you gone to them and basically said, can you give any more? Do you no, know another person? No, I did person? not ask for more, did not just, ask for more, no. for another connection? Uh, I didn't even ask for another connection. When I'd spoken to him the day before, he ended up going to dinner that night with someone that he was like, oh, you know what? You might be interested in this. Holy shit. I mean, what are the freaking chances? I mean, you gotta ask. You gotta be connecting people, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. I, and I, but I didn't ask though. That's what's so crazy is he, he did it. He really believed in the film as well. But it was, it was that moment of holy shit, we got the money, and then holy shit, we got the money. Oh no, I actually have to do this. Like, oh, I might actually. Oh, I could fail at this. This was really fun when it was just in my head, and it's like we're making a movie, and then it's hmm. you have to hire people, and people are putting their time into it, and. And asking them to put their time into something for not a lot of money. Is Matt in charge mostly of hiring most of these people? Are you? I just feel like if you haven't hired these, if you hadn't done the job of directing a feature before, and if you haven't hired all these people, how do you even know all the people you need to hire, let alone the right way to, to decide on Yeah, them? Uh, that's a great question. Matt is very connected with crew. Okay. And he understands that world way more than I did. Okay. So I just kind of trusted him to crew us up, and he did that amazingly. And then we brought two more girls on, Kate and Tina, two more producers, and they kind of filled in the rest of the people. And I was in charge of bringing the casting director in and getting actors. Like I was kind of the creative hiring and Matt and the girls kind of pulled everyone else together. How'd you pick a casting director? I, I, uh, I talked to Helen and Patrick, who was, it's Amy, what's her last name? I'm bad with names. I mean, you worked with her. No, I did not. I worked oh. with her assistant. Ah. I touched the mic. Um, I worked with her assistant, Natalie Paige Goldberg. I'm telling you, names are not my thing. Great. Um, but Natalie came on, and she read the script, and she loved it, and I absolutely loved working with Natalie. She was the best. She Made really got what we were going for. Wonderful. And I was like, best actor wins. I'm not. I'm not in the business of doing the first feature with names, even though we could have possibly gotten, we had funding, we had the money to if we wanted to go in that direction. Could you have gotten more money if you'd gotten a name? Was that conditioned? No, we could have put money in a certain, we could have put more money in that area and taken it out of somewhere else. They were, Kate and Tina and Matt were like a wizard with this budget. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool to watch them. I was like, well, what about this? And then Kate would go on her computer and touch things on a spreadsheet and go, yes, I can make that work. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening over there. I don't want to know, but I love it. That's incredible. It okay, was. so what does the rest of pre-production look like for you? Uh, for me, it looked a lot like quickly, quickly learn how to do this. You know, uh, I was watching a lot of films on silent. I was learning as much as I can about 
I think the thing that made me the most nervous was talking with a DP. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd had enough experience with that yet. So I was that was the most important thing to me was really understanding that part of the world. And you learned that mostly YouTube or YouTube, again, interviews, articles, watching films on silent. Great. Because I'm not distracted by anything but the visual. And that was like, okay, now I'm understanding why they went to that shot there and like why this shot's important, how this shot mirrors the shot at the end of the film. And What's one of the movies you were watching on silent? Just oh. if someone wants to go watch something on silent to try to be well, this inspired was, by camera angles. This is specifically to my films. I don't think this will, it sure. won't be. But for me, it was Short Term 12. Great. Which is an indie film. It's I love Brie Short Larson. Term 12. Oh, good Lord. And I just think that film does such a great job at getting in with the actors. We're right there with them. Um, you know, at times it's a little a little shakier than I, what I wanted, but it gave me the vocabulary to also know what I don't like. I also watched a lot of Blue is the Warmest Color. Ooh. And I learned a lot about what I didn't like with the lesbian film there. Okay. There's awesome. like some things I like, and then but there was more things I didn't. Okay. But I would just keep watching it so I can like figure out what that looks like, how to articulate that. I think being able to say exactly what you don't want about something yes. is almost more valuable sometimes just because it, it takes options off the table yeah. and all of a sudden, okay, great, we're only talking about these three possibilities. Exactly. Then, and I would do that. that I made everyone decks. I made my... Um, my DP, she had a deck. My costumer, she had a deck. My production designer, he had a deck. And I'd make these decks of all the things I love, all these ideas, and then at the end would be ideas I didn't like. Like, don't do anything like this. Love this that. isn't gonna work. Were you working other jobs while you are doing this? It sounds like yeah. a lot of work. Well, I was definitely editing. I was doing a lot of video editing at the time, and I had another writing job I was doing. So, it's a paid job, so I couldn't just like piece on it. So, yeah, so I was doing that at the exact same time. Holy cow. So you're editing multiple projects, you're mm-hmm. writing another project, and you're just making a I'm film happen. This. But I was also okay with, I told myself, if you don't make the kind of money you've been used to making, that's okay right now. You can, and this is another thing I said. I was like, worst case scenario, you finish this at the end of the summer and you're broke. Worst case, go get a job somewhere. Go to Starbucks. Go to, you worked at Abercrombie and Fitch back in your early 20s. Go get a job at a clothing store. Like, that's if that's the worst case scenario, you'll survive. And if that's worth it to you, then you're probably willing to put it all on the line to do it. I think there's some people who the comfort isn't worth it and then they don't understand why they're not willing to get uncomfortable. No, I was totally ready to like, then I started telling myself, you're going to be going back to a real job at the end of this. And that just took the pressure off, but what about this money or what about this or I can't afford this and no. No. I'll make it later. So you get through pre-production and you get to production and what did you learn making a damn movie, lady? Um, the first week was the week that everything that could go wrong went wrong week. Okay. What kind of things went wrong? First day was uh, a heat wave. Okay. And Were you shooting outside? We were shooting in an apartment that we originally thought we'd had the whole space to work with, and then it was much smaller. Oh, no. And so we have way too many people going up and down these stairs in this tiny conformed little, like, we're literally, like, scooting past each other. We're sweating. My poor actress, who's older, who plays the grandma in the film, she almost fainted. Oh, no. Like, our our makeup girls are putting ice packs around everyone's necks. It was intense. And because it was so hot, we're going slower, we were so behind, we're having to cut scenes on the fly, cutting shots. I don't even know now, I'm like, will that even track? Like, I'm trying to like cut it in my head in between takes going, no, I know, I, I have to have that shot, I have to have it, otherwise I can't cut those two together anyway, so we may as well cut the whole scene. It was, it was an intense week. By day three, I told Ryan, my husband, I said, I think I'm gonna die today. Oh God, how and did he handle that? 
He's like, you're not going to die today. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die today. And I wasn't kidding. I wasn't being dramatic. It a was... A little dramatic. It felt like I was going to die. Okay. So we have the heat wave. Heat wave. Uh, locations did not have air conditioning. And so it wasn't even like we could blast it in between takes. Mm-hmm. So everyone's moving slow. We had too many shots and too many pages a day. We were being too ambitious. So at night, I was rewriting the script, cutting. I realized if you've got a scene that's one-eighth of a page, it takes the same amount of time to set up as your scene that's five pages. So cut them all. So I'd have to cut everything that was short and then take any valuable information and throw it into another scene. Interesting. And I'm doing that at night. So we're working 12, 14 hours a day. I'm doing that. I'm getting back up in the morning. I'm, I'm you're just like, subsisting on adrenaline and coffee? Yeah. And lost like 10 pounds that first week. Jeez. It was really rough. Um, so I learned that like, but one thing that was interesting was I feel like I'm someone that usually goes to chaos when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And I realized I'm not freaking out. And by day three with the day I thought I was going to die, I'm like, why aren't you meditating? Why aren't you doing the things you usually do to take care of yourself? We know so much, but yeah. we don't use it so and it's often. like when you need it, you're like, nah, it doesn't work for me now. I was like, no, bitch. You get your headphones. You're meditating before you get to set. I just cut coffee out. Didn't drink coffee again after day three. Good for you. I went and got like the matcha green tea. It has all like the vegetables you need for the day. Made that a thing. Um, so that kind of started to shift. And once we hit that first weekend, I had a whole weekend to really rewrite that script. Okay. And then really kind of get gain control that 50% of the shot list has to go. How are the actors handling this changes in pages oh and whatnot? Oh my God. The actors were incredible. There was uh, Nia DaCosta who did Into the Woods. I went to her talk back in, right before we started shooting and she said, on your first feature, you're not gonna have the budget or the time to get everything you want or to do your best job. She says, my one piece of advice is hire smart actors. And I kind of took with that and ran with it. Like that was the biggest thing I went, oh, okay, that's what I'm doing. And these actors, there was this one scene with Jeanette Moss and Ryan Garcia, and it was two scenes, and we didn't have enough time to shoot it, more than one take each shot. Oh, wow. And in editing, I never needed anything but what I had. Holy they cow. were incredible. So. I've heard directors say that 90% of my job, 99% of my job is casting, and I always thought that sounded so flip. No, it's and true. It's like, well, because you're, you're stuck with everybody at that point. So even if there's other work to be done, it, it did affect 99% of the decisions. It might have yeah. affected 99.9% of the decisions by the they time all said amazing. and done. They were amazing. I mean, they were showing up. They were sweating. They they're fantastic in the movie. Oh, thank I was you. lucky enough to get to see not the final. Yeah, cut, no, but it's changed a little since then. But I'm yeah, sure. I mean, in that Fair final bones. cut, you had, or that rough cut, you had like what two weeks after the movie was over? Mm-hmm. Less? That was less. That was a uh, weekend. So how is that happening? You guys are shooting during the day, and who's in charge of actually starting to assemble this thing? So my editor Ryan Pennington was cutting every single day. He was doing so the so each day I would get an assembly the day before. So Ryan Pennington, my editor, he's cutting every day and he was sending me these assemblies. So when we did get to to editing, to post, we already had, I'd say, 70% of the film at least cut together, whether it was what we ended up working with or not. And then when we got to post, he and I would work together in the day and at night I would watch the dailies. Okay. And kind of match up what did he use and what do I like. Most times he used what I liked. Fantastic. He and I were just, um, I'd never met him before. My producer, Matt, hired him. And he was like a soulmate, a brother from another mother. Simpatico. Oh, we had the same sense of humor. 
like it was a very dorky sense of humor that I don't do it with a lot of people. And I'm like, I'm getting dorky with this guy. I barely know. And we're, we're sticky. And oh, I just loved working with him. And I, I thought I was going to be, I thought it was going to be really hard working with an editor and not editing. Mm-hmm. It was fine. I was like, I'm actually okay. Not, I'm actually okay with someone else manning that ship. And I think it's just because he was such a beautiful, intuitive editor. Like he, and he really got the story. And I think that's what it comes down to. If you have a lot of people working together, if they're all telling the same story, shit can go south, things can change on the fly, bad things can happen, good things can happen, but at the end of the day, if we all have that same, like I know what we're trying to get to, then that's fine. And that's one of your biggest jobs as the director, right? Yeah. Is to make sure Everybody that everyone understands page. what that target is and not having different targets or different understandings of it yeah. or people deciding that for themselves. It's very true. And do it was. It was, was very... Was that constant messaging from you or do you feel like that was something you handled right at the top? Uh, I think it was... I think it was those damn decks. Giving all the keys their decks, you know? It was very... I was just so specific about what I wanted. But also very open to collaboration. Like it's like, okay, if this is what we're going for, but if I'm getting there the wrong way, you tell me what you think is gonna work. And I loved, I loved when people would would be open to that collaboration because it did like my ID, she had amazing ideas. And she pitched me on them all the time and I fucking loved it. I loved but I loved that there was this environment where everybody's everybody's idea did matter. So eventually you get to the end. Were there any other like massive learning lessons or gigantic problems along the way? I think, I already knew this kind of about myself, but it was solidified. There's just no room for ego. There's no room to be precious. Just because it looked a certain way in your head, let it the fuck go. Let it go. And it was really liberating to be okay with, uh, hey, listen, we're not gonna be able to get that scene. Think about it. That's okay, we didn't need it. And people would be a little bit like, she just threw that away so easily. It's like, we didn't need it. If we were supposed to get it, we would have gotten it. And if it was so important to me, I'd figure out a way to get it later. That's so good too, because everyone's taking their cue of how to emotionally behave from whoever's in charge. And if you're an asshole or you're overly anxious, then that just trickles down to everyone Everyone. else. And if you're cool with it and you're flexible, it seems like it's mostly gonna work out. I think so, and I think well, Ryan, the editor, said, Ryan, I always have to say, because Ryan's my husband, yep. there's Ryan, my husband, and there's Ryan, the editor. Sometimes I'll text them both, but I'll text one and not the other. It's like a thing. No naked pictures yet, so we're, we're doing good um, so far. Not uh, but, na- na- <laughs> but naked Ryan. But which Ryan am I referring to? That's the question. <laughs> naked Ryan. It's naked clear. Ryan. It's clear. Ryan, the editor, said, in post, he goes, you know, your goal isn't to make a perfect film. Your goal is to make a film that you stand confidently behind. And I thought that was such a good piece of advice. Oh, I love that. Right? Oh, my goodness. And that changed everything. That was after the screening you saw, because we had all these notes. And I was like, I don't know what one to take. I don't know what this is. Oh, my God, this is so much. It's like, hey, we're not going for perfection here. And we went through each note. He's like, what do you feel confident about? I was like, I don't like that. I don't feel confident about that choice. He's like, then we don't do it. That's the takes so much of the pressure off. So much. Where like you're your own North Star at the end of the day. Yeah. Who else is going to do it? It's your movie. Yeah, and if you can fucking stand there and go, I and this is what it was. It, it turned out like we're we're done, we're done, we're done. And I'm standing there with Ryan Pennington. I'm like, "Ryan, I fucking love that film. I'm confident about that film." Yes. Oh my god, it felt so good. Like I do I love my film. I don't hear a lot of people say that and I don't know if there's a the, if the angst and the artistic thing is a 
is 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 a thing for people, but I don't know. Like usually, you hear directors talk about like, and then I was just done with it, and no. I just I had to let it like go. And I feel like, uh, do you though your kids too when they go to college? Like I don't know. I feel like there you have so much like life and blood and sweat and equity put yeah, into that thing. I'm like proud. hopefully I you love, love it. it. Hopefully you want to see it if it's like, you know, screening near you or on like yeah. t- television someday or whatnot. I can't wait. My dad's coming to town soon, so he's gonna get to see it. And I'm just like. I haven't watched it in a while, so I'm like, I'm going to get to see it again. Well, that's fantastic. Um, so now that you are kind of done with the film, how do you approach getting it ready for festivals? How do you choose where you submit to? How do you plan that okay. out? How do you game that out? How do you find a distributor? It, you know, I'm going to ask you the same question, Brian, because I'm learning all these things right now. I don't know, man. It's this. This is a whole new. This part's where it's brand new to me because the shorts you you do a festival run, but that's kind of it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's the end game. Yeah, you're not trying to sell it. You're not trying to like have it. You might figure out which um, platform online you want it to land on, but that's kind of the beginning end of it. So, so yeah, uh, I'm learning this as I go. Okay. And so we might have to have you back on to kind of fill out oh God. this piece. Yeah, I yeah. It is. It's one of those things. It's it's kind of overwhelming. I didn't really put much time into it before because I was like, I'm going to worry about this later. Yeah. And now that I'm later, there was like a good couple weeks there where I was like, I'm just going to leave it for now. I don't want to touch anything and just kind of put it aside because I just felt very out of my element. But is the basic architecture of it that you put it into festivals and hopefully a buyer sees it and you go, or is that that seems too limited? That's so general and. I love um, this one. Bears Font is a festival consultant. She's yep. amazing. She's consulting on my short right now, and we're going to try to get her on the show. She, oh, that's so. Oh, yes, do. She's in Oslo right now. No, we're, is she not back? She, well, maybe. Okay. I think she's back. Okay. I talked to her on Friday. Okay. And she's helped me with my shorts. She watched the film, and it was a wonderful, helpful conversation. Also, very overwhelming because mm-hmm. I've already started submitting, and then she's like, "Oh, no, 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 no." You shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing this. Why don't you do that? I'm like, ooh. Yeah, she had such a specific plan for my short, and I was, I was. Thank God we had not already spent three hundred dollars on submissions or more. Yeah, I wish I could say that. It would have been really. <laughs> oh, pour one out for that. Yeah, well, but that's okay. Look, um, money's just money. It would be. I don't know. I'm a little overwhelmed in that department right now. Because there's the version that, there's just, there's no control over this part. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's hard. You have control over making a film and how you want to make it and who you want to make it with. And then you don't have any control over where it goes. And that's really scary. And there's that fear that it goes nowhere. (laughs) And it's really hard not to live in that space. And I, obviously you're going to have those thoughts. And I'm like, but what's that serve you living there right now? No, it doesn't. No. Well, and you know, you're manifesting that result of I guess it's going to go nowhere then. And like, yeah. You don't need to be doing that. No, and it's like, but I'm like, I, I love to thank those negative thoughts when I thank it. Like, all right, here, yeah, thank you, thank you. I'm aware of it too. We're not going to worry about that right now. But um, yeah, I mean, your world premiere is very important. So it's making sure you set yourself up for that, for potential success based on that world premiere. Okay. And then your life of your festival run kind of gets birthed from there. Great. So it's just figuring out who you give your virginity to. Or who wants your virginity. Actually, really, it's who wants your virginity. You started the day with Jerry talking to me about popping his podcast cherry, and now today. My aunt and the porn. My aunt and the porn. Good Ryan. Yep, it's, it's all Festival happening. Virginity. I have a question. 
Um, do we? Are you able to stick around a little while longer? Or yeah. Do you have a hard out? Because do uh, we've done about an hour here, but I'd love to make this a part two of an episode mm-hmm. and get to some other stuff that you and I have talked about. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're able to stick around? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, that's it for part one. Thank you to Kelly. Thank you for listening. Thank you to presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. We'll be back with more stuff from Kelly, including uh, her career as an editor, what she's learned about acting from that career, and all sorts of alternative creative sources like tarot cards and succulents. So we'll be back with more on Thursday. 